Hey everybody, Christian Carvajal here, Editor Emeritus of Holy Arts. Welcome to Sound Stages. You know what this is. It's our weekly podcast, well, weekly-ish, dedicated to theater entertainment all over the South Sound. This week's episode, I should warn you, may contain explicit language and references to topics that might be unsuitable for our younger listeners. So, on behalf of Holy Arts, thanks for listening. Hi everybody, Christian Carvalho here. We are back on the sound stages on the Oli Arts podcast, and we are beginning a summer when, unusually for Olympia, or in fact for anywhere that I'm aware of other than Ashland, Oregon, we are going to have three distinct productions of outdoor Shakespeare this summer. I will be in one, the last one I think chronologically, so you'll hear more about that later. Goldfinch Productions is currently staging their version of As You Like It, and with us today is Rachel Fitzgerald of Animal Fire Theater, who opened all this triad of goodness with The Merry Wives of Windsor. Hi, Rachel. Rachel is joining us by phone today. We're trying that experiment because I saw the show last night, and unexpectedly for July, it got really cold in the middle of the show. Well, probably you expected it, right, Rachel? You've been dealing with it in rehearsals. Yeah, it has a little moment toward the fourth act, where it's like December and July. Yeah, it's July in Act 1 and spring at best in Act 5. I found myself feeling bad for some of your female actors who are in tight-fitting, slinky clothes. <laughs> they have jackets. Everybody had a jacket or a sweater they could wear, just in case. I wondered if there was some kind of a huddle-and-hug party backstage behind the curtain while the show was going on. I think they're pretty well prepared with blankets and hot tea. They're pretty used to it by now. My wife suggested that you guys consider blanket rental. I'll let the board know and see what we come up with next year. <laughs> All right. So before we talk about the play itself, and speaking of the board, I understand that the summer of 2019 finds Animal Fire Theater, the usually scrappy little outdoor Shakespeare once-a-year company, in unusually good financial shape. Is that correct? Well, from what I understand, I'm not the financial officer, but from what I understand, we are doing pretty well. Got a number of donations online in the last year as well as a grant from the city that was excellent and allowed us to do some good things. And people are usually, and thus far has proved itself this way this year, very kind in what they donate after the show. And of course the shows are free if that's what people can afford, but if you feel like donating as the hat is passed later in the show, that's fine too. Yeah, absolutely do not have to. Now, the grant, the results of the grant are visible in the quality of your set, I noticed. How is that simplified setting up and tearing down for each show? Well, the only people that are there to set up and tear down are the actors or the very small set crew. So these tripods that were bought with this matching grant that we got from the city of Olympia, Olympia. Mm -hmm. so we bought three sets of tripods, which make things go more quickly. They aren't as heavy. More people are able to work on them at one time. So it makes things quicker and a lot less cumbersome taking them down. I would imagine the actors are maybe a lot less exhausted when they go home every night. Yeah, that is true. I was in an animal fire production of Hamlet 
oh, probably five or six years ago. And at that point, one of our set items was a truck tire with concrete inside it and like a tetherball pole set in the concrete. And it took three of us to get that thing up a hill and into the truck every night. And I remember it seemed to take just as much energy to build and tear down the set as it did to play the character. Yeah. Which is not necessarily the way you want that equation to go, right? Right. But being where we are this year, instead of down the hill by the playground, being in the lower field makes it also easier because there isn't as much of an incline from where we can park a truck and load and unload. The incline isn't nearly as steep, so it makes it a lot easier. No, but you still do get the benefits of kind of a natural amphitheater, I noticed. Yes. Which it probably is a lot easier on the actors' voices, too. Yes. All right, so let's get to this wonderful show. Now, okay. we talked a little bit for the print article, the preview that came out just in the most recent couple of issues. And at that point, we addressed a fact that scholars seem generally agreed on, which is that Merry Wives of Windsor is not considered in the top tier of the Bard's work. Would you agree with that? Uh, that's what I've heard. All right. And you <laughs> promised at the time that based on the cut of the script and based on addition of business and other actions to the show, okay. that you would be able to work around that. And for the most part, I honestly thought you did. I would agree with Oli Arts critic Alec Clayton, who said that it was one of the funnier of the Animal Fire productions to date. Thank you. How much of that is you and how much of that is old Bill? Well, wow, that's a tough question. The script is filled with a lot of juvenile humor. <laughs> a lot of, one of the characters says, if there's one or two in the party, I shall make the turd. Yes. With a quasi-French accent. And is that so, scripted, or was oh, that yeah. a, a Ryan edition? No, 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 that's scripted. That's in there. The whole, I have mistook my erection, also in the script. So there's a lot of 14-year-old boy humor. You just answered a um, question on my list, as a matter of fact. Yeah, that was <laughs> what I was going to ask about. Was that a loose translation, or is that no, straight that from the work? Huh? word for word. We did not change anything. We made, I think, one addition to the script that is not actually in there besides the gender change of Fenton. And it's because True Doyle did it in a rehearsal, and it was so funny that I said, oh, you have to keep that. I'm guessing it was one of his salutations? Okay, then two. Okay. okay. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm from Wisconsin, and he started doing that accent, and I was like, okay, you're every guy I went to high school with. <laughs> so it was brilliant. And hey there, I, if you're going to say something, say hey there, because that's what we do. Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, no, the one addition that I was thinking of is when he goes off stage during one of the times he is looking for Paul Stappen and out, and he comes back on and yells, come on! Yes. It was, it was hysterically funny in rehearsal, so we kept it. It's a real treat to get to see some of these folks that they certainly have the chops to do high drama. It's fun to see them in such a juvenile piece, honestly, right. because you can't say, well, but they wouldn't do that. Because these characters would do just about anything. All right, so for people, which is, let's face it, most of us, who are not that familiar with The Merry Wives of Windsor, give me the elevator pitch on that. What is the show basically about? Okay, well, we have Sir John Falstaff, who we've seen 
in a number of other Shakespeare plays, if you're familiar with that name. Lovable Lug. Yeah, uh, your, your oaf, if you will. Yeah. Your kind of grifter of a knight who has run through his money and has got to make good quit. I would and, say Sir Toby Belch is essentially the same character. Oh, yes, exactly, exactly. Sir Toby Belch is Falstaff Light. Right. <laughs> but he needs money. He can't live for free. And so he decides he's going to seduce two of the wives in the town, whose husbands are very rich, and one who also happens to be an extremely jealous man. So that plot takes probably center stage, I would say. And then we have a side plot, one of the wives' daughters, and how she is to be married. She has three different suitors, one of which she actually cares about, and two who are just absolutely silly people. Laughter ensues, and it ends up with everybody being okay and laughing in the end. So, from my reading of the script prior to the show, and I would say this about quite a lot of Shakespeare's work, actually, that the romantic plot is kind of a stiff, generally, but I think your gender swap really put some interesting spice on that, uh, left it a bit of a surprise, and I thought that played quite well. What is tricky is we really get to like Sir John so much, it's almost painful to see poor Dave Champagne in the role just getting used and abused for two hours straight. That is the script. So we had to try to make him as anti-Me Too as possible. You know what I mean? <laughs> we had to take him to the level of almost pervert without crossing the line to pervert. Right, and that's tricky, yes, because he's a lovable rogue, but the problem with that is lovable rogues are lovable. And so where does the lovable end and the roguishness begin, right? He's not Harvey Weinstein. He's not going to get rounded up in a federal sting operation. He's just a really horny, down-on-his-luck guy. Right, who's hitting on two married women, which is not appropriate. That is not appropriate. That's right. He pays mightily for his sins. He does. He pays mightily. All right, so aside from Dave, who, by the way, is just wonderful in the role. He is so charming. Tell me about some of the rest of the cast. It's a good-sized cast. Oh, it is. It's about 13, 14 people, I think. Well, Kimberly, who plays Mistress Quickly, was a total surprise. She did a video audition submission, so I didn't even really get to meet her in person, but it was so spectacular. So I want to name her in full because I'm going to mention her later. I saw Kimberly Wolfson play the angel in the SPSCC production of Angels in America, and I was really struck by the physicality of her work. So when I saw her in the show last night, a quick Google search pieced it all together, and I gather that she is from the East Coast, correct? A fairly recent transplant here? And your faithful wives are played by, speaking of by recent Paige transplants, Doyle. Paige and Doyle. Sure, she's Shannon, great. whose last name I never try to pronounce because I'm always afraid I'm going to get it wrong. Right, I want to say it's Augustinelli. Yeah, let's say it's that. Okay, let's say it's that. <laughs> and if it's not, 
apologies. The problem is, and I should have asked her at the beginning of rehearsal, and this is my bad. Yeah, I just never know where to put the emphasis. (laughs) I have a friend I have known for about 10 years, since shortly after I moved to Washington, and she consistently mispronounces my last name in public, and I don't think either of us have the heart to address it at this point. Uh, I'm so sorry. That's all right. If she's listening, it's Carvajal, by the way, just so we can clear that up. All right. (laughs) And lots of other fine comic performers, people we've seen in other animal fire shows and other people Mm -hmm. around Olympia populate your fine cast. Now, we had people coming out of the woodwork. I was so blessed to have so many good actors, and I had to turn some great actors down, which... As an actor, I hate doing that. Yeah, yeah. But when things click, they click. And I think there were definite clicks that were happening during auditions. I've had to tell an actor, because they ask sometimes, why didn't you cast me? I've had to say, you literally did nothing wrong. It came yeah. down to something so superficial I'm embarrassed to tell you about, but that's why. Well, lucky for you, in a summer where there are three Shakespeare casts being put together, mm-hmm. I, I bet they all found places, right? All right. Excellent. Well, so the original play is set in the Windsor, I guess it's a neighborhood of London. Is that right? Yeah. All right. And it's a little bit down from London. It's probably a neighborhood now, but it wasn't at the time. All right. Well, my wife has been to the UK. I have not. She would probably know and be rolling her eyes right now. Your production, however, according to the program, is set in Windsor, Washington. And Yes, yeah, which bizarrely has a Thames River running through the middle of it, (laughs) and an oddly international population. So tell me about some of the accents that are represented. Okay, these are all is written except Masterbrook. Right. We have Sir Hugh, the Welshman, Mm -hmm. also the pastor of the area, Mm -hmm. the churchman, as they call him. Mm -hmm. Sir Hugh is played by Brian Hatcher. Mm Mm-hmm. And so funny. And then we have Dr. Kyatt, played by Ryan Holmberg, also hysterical. Mm-hmm. Um, he is written in dialect, in Shakespeare's text, as a Frenchman, sort of. Well, he is clearly a Frenchman from the John Cleese School of International Relations. I would agree with that. And then Master Brook is a character that is taken on by Master Ford. And it says that he is to have an accent and to be disguised. So we were playing around with accents, and Drew was just so funny doing a Midwestern accent that we kept it. Yeah, I would go so far as to say Northern. Oh, he's from my part of the country where, you know, everything's fine, and you go out on the summer, and you go out on your pontoon, and you have a brat and some beers, and it's all Right. He's a very Lutheran Elizabethan, I noticed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Upper Midwest, probably Twin Cities, Wisconsin area in there. Yeah, part of England. Yeah, of course. (laughs) (laughs) If you watch, there is a televised one where Ben Kingsley plays Master Ford, and he does this very strange English affectation to his Master Ford. So I told you, just be silly. Right. No, you're in good company. If Gandhi does it, it's okay. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit uh, about acting styles because, and this is the reason I made sure I named Kimberly Wolfson, because Kimberly is performing her role 
in what I would describe as a very physically lively way. Now, I'd be shocked if she doesn't have some kind of a dance background because I've seen a lot of physical expression yeah, in her work physical. so far. Right. And that got me to thinking as I was watching the show, because Shannon is also acting in a way that I would not characterize as naturalistic, but I also would not say it's formal or declamatory. It's somewhere in between there. And there's some of that scattered throughout this production. And some of that, of course, is dictated by just the needs of performing outdoors for a crowd that's scattered all the way up a hill and would like to hear the dialogue. But some of that also, it seems to me, is exactly the kind of thing that would be demanded by performing in 1603 in the Globe Theater, with no lighting except natural daylight and only the building's natural acoustics to help you, where in order to portray human behavior, you really have to kind of go to 11, right? And how much of that was the product of research, and how much of that is just some of your preferred style? In other words... Everybody seemed to be on the same page, no pun intended in this case. Where did that come from? Well, I would say that the actors are so good that I would give them a very basic note. I basically told them, this is where you enter, this is where you exit, this is some important business in the scene, and go. And there was a lot of exploring and falling into place and finding those moments that were funny and figuring out, well... With some of these scenes with Falstaff, when his wooing is being messed with, let's say, that, well, maybe this is their acting style. Maybe it is large, and it's for his benefit, and therefore it's going to be a little bit bigger than normal, more like the very tragic kind of old Grecian type of movement. Very presentational. Yes, but some of them, certain moments, are chosen specifically for that. Well, and as you noted, some of these characters are in fact playing a role that they are performing for the benefit of secret observers or for John or for both, right? Right. Exactly. So it's almost a sitcom acting style where you know there's a live studio audience watching what you're doing. Well, as you know, and I'm sure many of our listeners do, there is an ongoing debate in scholarly circles over what the general acting style was on the historic Elizabethan stage. We have Hamlet giving advice to the acting troupe that sounds a lot like what you would have gotten in the actor's studio or right out of the way we've interpreted Stanislavski, what we would call the American method of doing Shakespeare. But, yes, exactly. But we also know that very declamatory oratory was a popular thing to go see in the London of Shakespeare's time. And that was a very symbolic way of conveying information. So if your character was meant to be depressed, there was a specific angle you would hang your head at. And that was code, and the audience just understood that meant sad. And in fact, we see a version of that in Harlequin's production of La Mancha, which, if I haven't mentioned it to you listeners, is very, very good, and you should definitely go see that too. So 
which side of the debate you're on kind of depends, I think, on which acting style you think you prefer. And we have no way short of a DeLorean time machine of figuring out which one was actually true, right? So when you've performed Shakespeare in the past, what's your approach? Well, it depends on the role and the director, because you have to make sure that you're giving the director what they, not necessarily just their vision, but you have to trust your director and trust that they are going to have your back and be able to tell you what is best for the whole play. Right, right. So my Paulina, for instance, is different than my Beatrice or my nurse, or it just depends. It's a very gut kind of instinctual process for me. And as you're directing, how much do you worry about scansion and meter? In this play, not much. Right. it is not written in no, I was going to say it's a lot prosier than most of Shakespeare's yes. comedies. Yeah, most of... I, I actually don't know if we have much of any iambic pentameter in this particular script. Not just because of anything that we did to cut for time, but in its actual original form. It's just not there. Well, your program notes go out of the way to shoot down some of the apocryphal stories about this yeah. play. So let's bring those up and shoot those down here. So okay. supposedly, why was Mary Wives of Windsor written? Well, there is a big myth that Mary Wives of Windsor was an ask from the Queen. She said, I want to see John Falstaff in love. And scholars for a long time said, well, this was the response, and he only had weeks or two and a half weeks to write it and that's why it's kind of a messy script in its original form it's got a lot of different things going on that we cut because they didn't make sense mm -hmm. however the more i read about it on the royal shakespeare company website the more i found out that it's just not the case that's not how they see it was written they have no proof that the queen had asked for it they have no proof that she said she wanted to see Falstaff in love. So without proof, I just say that the myth is probably just a myth. You always have to wonder, don't you, if some of that is the result of people taking bad notes. Yeah, it most likely was, because many of Shakespeare's plays were written improperly. Some of his, well, as, without going too much into Shakespeare's history, there were lots of folios of his plays that were written from memory. And some were good and some were not. So we take our scripts from the Riverside Shakespeare or directly from the Gutenberg and Royal Shakespeare Company websites and make sure that the script is as pure as possible. But yeah, they were badly written down in some cases. So as we record this, we are at the close of, I think, the show's second weekend of performances. Is that right? Yeah. All right. So how many are left? We have two weekends left. Performances are Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at 7 p.m. in the lower field of Priest Point Park. And for those who have never been to an animal fire show before, just pull into the park, turn left, drive over toward the bridge, and there you will see plenty of signage pointing you clearly in the way you should go. And has parking been a problem? Not as far as we know. We, on our Facebook page, have asked people not to park directly next to the playing space to allow people who might have mobility issues to park in those, I think, eight spaces there or ten spaces. And for the most part, people have been very conscious of that and have been parking up the hill a little bit and walking down. 
And what do you recommend people bring with them? Well, first of all, I recommend they hit the bathroom. Uh Uh-huh. No intermission. (laughs) they come down, because it is a bit of a hike up the hill, and there is not an intermission, so if you need to use the bathroom, you just go. Mm -hmm. But that's why I say go first. Bring a blanket or some camping chairs. Mm -hmm. Always a plus. If you are able to donate or think you might be willing to donate, I would bring cash, because... That is the easiest way. Make sure to bring a blanket and a sweatshirt, and we don't need a fashion show, so just be comfortable. Be comfortable, bring some food, bring some friends. It's all about having a good time. It's pet friendly. It is. Assuming the pets are friendly. Yes, assuming the pets are friendly. There is a little dog bark in the first act of the show, so try to warn the pet owners that there will be a particular moment where there is barking dog. I gotta tell you, I heard the sound effect, and I thought it was one of the dogs that were there, and I thought the actor's response to that was the best cover I'd ever heard for a good three seconds. <laughs> well, actually, I did the dog bark last night. I did it in rehearsal. It's on my special skills on my right It should be. That is a very credible dog bark. I don't know if that's the best compliment I've ever given, but <laughs> well, aces. All right. Well done. So, taking it as read that yeah. audiences should go see all three outdoor Shakespeare shows in Olympia this summer and that they'll all be fantastic. Now, let's let you be selfish. If they're only going to see one, why should it be yours? Oh, we have fun. We have so much fun every night. And the actors truly are some of the most talented actors at the South Sound. And there are a lot of shows right now. So, of course, every director is going to say, I've got the best cast. These are amazing people, and they're working to the top of their game. And it's just a ton of fun. And it's free. It is free. And by the way, listeners, I'm not blowing smoke. It's really funny. (laughs) And I am not somebody, look, I'll out myself as a commoner. I generally don't think Shakespearean comedies are all that funny. I find them witty and clever and smart and interesting and compelling, but I usually don't laugh. Because, you know, the puns are out of date and the historical references fly either above or below my head. Or, you know, it's all dick jokes or whatever it is. But this show is really LOL funny. And I think the entire audience reflected that last night. My wife is not the biggest fan of Shakespeare, and she had a good time and has been talking it up to other people. So kudos to you and to your very fine cast and to the company. Thank you. Thank you. There are still the really erudite jokes in the script that no one gets. (laughs) You know, there's like, here's one of the character's fathers. He fought with a warrener, which nobody gets now. But basically the character is saying that the man's father fought with a rabbit. And... Back in the day, they would have gotten him and thought it was hysterical. No one gets it now. But yeah, even now that you've explained it, it doesn't exactly uh, kill in the room. I got to tell you. <laughs> no, but there's plenty. To, there's plenty to laugh at and plenty of people to have fun and connect with, and it's a big old good time. Absolutely. When is Animal Fire going to do something that isn't Shakespeare? You think? 10th season, 10th 
technically they did with American Roulette a few years ago. I had forgotten about that. That's right. That was a co-production, wasn't it? I think yeah. AFT and Dow yeah. got together for that. Yeah. But there is talk, in, and the board hasn't met as a whole since the performance has started, but there is talk with different board members of what we can do for a 10th season to make it memorable and special. Hmm. Maybe a Shakespeare and something else. Who knows? Hmm. I'm just I thinking out loud. Say, so I and I just made that up, so don't think I'm hinting at anything. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> but, you know, maybe if I say it out loud, you know, hmm, maybe, uh, oh boy, maybe some Oedipus Rex and some Moliere. Hmm. Uh, maybe some Fado. Boy, that company last night that I saw doing Merry Wives would do quite well by Georges Fado. Hmm. Listeners, I'm really just talking out loud. I have no idea what they're going to do. <laughs> None at all. And I, my lips are sealed. All right. Rachel, always a pleasure. I hope thank you here. continue thank to have an outstanding run of your show. Well, thank you. All right. I think we will. And my best of the cast as well. All right, listeners, you have two weeks left to go see The Merry Wives of Windsor. You can already go see As You Like It. And toward the middle or end of August, you can catch me in The Tempest from Oli Works, makers of this fine podcast, and a lot of other great people in that production as well. So you have three chances for free. All of them are free to go see the work of the greatest playwright and maybe the greatest writer in the English language, Tell dick and fart jokes. So how fun is that? For free. And we'll have a couple more episodes about that. So we will talk to you soon on Sound Stages. Bye.